Welcome to Watershed's February podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. My name is Tara Judah and I'm the cinema producer here at Watershed and I'm very excited about February. Yes, there's a lot happening in February, um, a lot of great films, but I think we have to talk about Barry Jenkins, don't we? Yes. <laughs> I was just like, yes, screaming, the inner, inner screaming. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying not to shout in the listeners' ears, but yes, inside I'm screaming, yes. <laughs> His new film, If Beale Street Could Talk, opens this month, and a lot of expectation from the director of Moonlight. Moonlight seemed to, you know, I mean, it's so, he sort of seemed to come from nowhere. Not many people knew about Barry Jenkins before Moonlight. Then it, it did that festival, played at Toronto, and then through the awards season, um, everybody fell in love with uh, Barry Jenkins and with Moonlight. Uh, and then it famously won that odd Oscar ceremony yeah. um, when La La Land was announced and then Moonlight uh, won. But... It, he, he did, he's not come from zero, but he seemed to come from nowhere. And then he made this most incredible film, Moonlight. And now his next much anticipated, eagerly anticipated new film, If Beale Street Could Talk. I think the really fascinating thing is that he completely didn't come from nowhere. And actually that the trajectory um, of expectation for Beale Street is also not actually part of a kind of linear narrative. So it's not as though he came out with Moonlight and then off the success of that, started to work on Bill Street. Actually, it's, it's quite contrary to that. So he'd made a film called Medicine for Melancholy, which we're actually going to be showing, and we'll talk about that in a moment, that did get a lot of acclaim, but was still he was still in that very early indie kind of underground phase and not lots of... Well, it, he, never, it never got a release in the UK. I mean, no. It didn't get much of a release at all, did it? It's been Medicine rarely seen. Yeah. It's been really rarely seen. So the word didn't spread far enough. So people who saw it loved it, but it didn't spread far enough. But off the back of that, um, he, he started working on his next couple of projects. And actually it took him, he sort of talks about that it took him almost five years before he just felt like he wasn't really doing anything. And he mm. was. He was working on other projects on other people's things, on corporate things, etc. So he was working, but he felt like he wasn't working mm. because his own projects weren't coming to. So he took some time off, went um, went to Europe and, you know, started working on his next two projects. And he worked on them at the same time. So he actually was writing If Bill Street Could Talk, the adaptation um, from the James Baldwin novel, at the same time that he was, he was working on Moonlight. So this actually isn't kind of the project that came next. It's not as though, and, you know, he sort of quite famously now says, if only I could have sent people the screenplay for Beale Street saying, uh, yeah. you know, from the forthcoming Oscar award-winning filmmaker, he didn't know at that time that he would get that kind of kudos. It's a really interesting point, that, about um, filmmakers' next projects. You think um, they finished that one, they're then going to start the next one. It's, it's you know, just thinking about Yorgos Lanthimos, a huge success with The Favourite. And he'd been working on The Favourite 10 years ago. Mm. In fact, it was a script that was around 20 years ago. Mm. So it, it, in that production process, it's, it's never, it's never Linear. So that's interesting to know that um, Jenkins was was working with both which, both Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk, which are actually adaptations of different literary forms. Absolutely. And so he also talks about them as, you know, Moonlight being the kind of film about the life he has had um, and Beale Street being about the life he sort of would or could have had, um, you know, if he had been brought up in different circumstances because he was born into uh, a family where his mother was addicted to crack cocaine. And so he kind of talks about this as, a, as I guess, a slightly more aspirational kind of life that potentially if he'd been brought up in a different environment. But he really, I mean, it also took, it takes a long time to make a film. And, you know, especially when you're adapting uh, original source material with something like James Baldwin, because the estate are quite 
the family estate are quite protective um, of the work and well, of who... Well, I should say, for, 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 for listeners, that if Beale Street could talk is an adaptation of a James Baldwin... Novel. Novel. Yeah, uh, so not his, not his critical essays, but, yeah, a novel. Um, and so, you know, he had to get approval from the estate. He had to send his, um, you know, adapted script to well, them. Just send the moonlight. <laughs> well, this is, this is the problem <laughs> with writing them at the same time. <laughs> you know, it would have been great if he could have said, I'm an Oscar award winner to send to the estate, but it, he was already working yeah, on it before yeah. that was possible. Um, and so, you know, it's quite fascinating that then later he gets... The this, um, this kind of diary uh, or, or notes from that James Baldwin had written, and it became clear that actually Baldwin was planning to write a screenplay for If mm. Bill Street Could Talk to make it into a film, and he'd already noted down kind of like um, actors for the film, directors, etc. Obviously, Barry Jenkins is like, well, clearly my name wasn't on that list because I wasn't around then, but such luminaries as Francois Truffaut and Louis Mal were listed as potential directors for this work. So you can imagine um, kind of, you know, finding that out how much weight that is for Jenkins to kind of consider. Um, and the fact that the family have okay, obviously okayed it, I think, is really quite extraordinary. And the result is every bit as great um, as I, I think the, you know, anyone protectively could anticipate it possibly could be. So talk, let's talk about the film itself. Um, what, 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 I think I can tell what your response might be, Tara, but um, tell us what you, what you think. I'm just going to go straight in with all the hyperbole I can muster, which is on the second day of January, I was like, you know what? If Bill Street Could Talk is going to be my film of the year, and I, I will eat my hat if it comes to December and I have to say, OK, something else has stolen my heart. But I really can't see anything else captivating me in quite the same way. I think this film is absolutely extraordinary. Um, and, and I loved Moonlight but I think this film actually, for me, is, is even better. Um, and I think that he really captures... So much of what he captures is to do with um, cinematic space and time. Uh, it's also the way the film aesthetically tells a story. All this fluid camera work... Uh, and, and, and quite often quite still characters. So we get this real dichotomy between movement and stasis in the film. Um, and, and what I think is so rich about this film, it very much in the way that James Baldwin wrote essays and, and Jenkins talks about Beale Street as being this, this really fantastic work where he's put all of the essayistic stuff into the characters, into flesh and blood, mm. and he's given them kind of, you know, like pulsating veins. But it's the same critique that Baldwin has in his essayistic writing. And so what we get with the film, and I think this is what's so extraordinary about the adaptation, is that somehow Jenkins is able to encapsulate that in the film, that you get that the kind of essayistic stuff, um, what Baldwin's angry about, what the problems are, what the systemic oppressions are, but you also get these incredibly lifelike characters that, that are just so beautiful and so deeply in love. It's a story of a couple, a young, aspiring black couple who are beginning to set out on their journey of a relationship and, and of setting up a family. And then the, the guy, uh, Fonny, is accused of rape, um, which he didn't commit, but which he gets sent to prison for. Um, and so it's got those, as you say, it's got those undercurrents of race relations um, and the, the, the anger of James Baldwin um, and the politics at that time. But it's not an angry film. Um, right. At all, it's 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 about. Uh, I mean, you know, I said about they're a, they're a young aspiring black couple in a way that the the fact that they're black is obviously a really really important part of Baldwin's writing and of of Jenkins' f storytelling and filmmaking. 
but in a way they're people. Um, and so it's the, it's it, you 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 want to see without colour as well, but the, the the fact that the black is so important in the setting up of the family and again the the, the sort of background and the milieu that they come from. Um, he he presents us with very kind of relationships that we're not used to that cinema's not used to presenting. Absolutely, um, which so is just unique. extraordinary. Yeah. So it's completely that thing about you know he he talks about I know the story maybe should have been painted in broad miserable strokes, but I'm not going to do that. So. He, he kind of really wanted to give this what he calls an ec ecstatic aesthetic mm. um, and that, you know, African-American stories aren't told with this ecstatic aesthetics. That's not something that we see in cinema. And I think that's really true. We don't see films like this where a couple in love and they're genuinely I think that the strength of this film is how romantic and true their relationship is it really comes across to the audience but we don't see African American couples as the protagonists given that much space in cinema very mm. often we don't see them having this kind of a romance um, yes there is the kind of you know the race relations and all the sort of you know really important socio-economic stuff in 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 the film but it's not a backdrop it is woven in it is absolutely with you know really central to the narrative but it does never take away from this beautiful that's beautiful what I was romance. Say. I mean, it's, it's about a young couple in love yeah um i mean in a way they their milieu and their you know the, all the other sort of social economic political c c circumstances are kind of not superfluous, but in a way, it's the, it's the love story. And you, you know, you mentioned um, we're screening some other work because we're doing a we're doing a little tribute, as it were, a screening of influences on Barry Jenkins. And I think this is where he, he, you know he is one of those great filmmakers who's absorbed particular styles. Um, and I'm thinking about Wong Kar Wai in particular, but also Taiwanese director Hu Shui Xuan and Claire Denis. So his influences are broad and wide, and they're, and they're very. Um, when you look at the, the the filmmakers that have influenced them, they they've got a quite striking visual aesthetic, and of course, it, well, you were saying earlier about the the whole filmmaking when he's he, he's not working, i not making films, but he's working by watching films, uh, and then when you find out that Barry Jenkins was a was involved in Telluride Film Festival, one of the kind of boutique prestige mm. film festivals in in North America, and he was he started out as an usher. So of course he was seeing all this work, and you know he's referenced it, he's mentioned it that you know things like um, Wagga Wise Happy Together, In the Mood for Love, um, Hu Shuishwen's Three Times, Claire Denise Botrevai, a couple of which were those two were showing Botrevai three times. You look at those and and you can see that he's taken those in and he's really that's that's his approach, which is what you're saying about that ecstatic aesthetic which he gets absolutely, and if Beale Street could talk. Yeah, completely. Those influences are so important. So, you know, he started out studying English and then kind of moved into filmmaking. And when he moved into filmmaking, he hadn't seen foreign language films, films not in the language of English, really. So he kind of started out with French and Asian New Wave cinema um, and then started reading Sight and Sound. And he kind of talks about, like, Wong Kar Wai was his first non-English film encounter. Um, and, and this is when he realised that you could actually tell stories with mood and emotion. Mm. And, and he said, it could, you know, it completely changed his life. He didn't know, like, the way that these characters pass each other on the stairs and in the mood for love. Yeah. And how I mean, and powerful that's the fundamental difference from Hollywood. Be. Yeah. I mean, it's the fundamental difference is that, you know, the Hollywood narrative is plot driven and it, they talk about the, the, you know, the three act structure and they talk and it's beginning, middle and end. And it's, you know, the narrative arc. It's all of these things, but it's plot driven. Um, so it's writing driven 
as it mm. were. It's, whereas, whereas what he is, is um, visually driven. Um, and when you go to those filmmakers, you can see that, um, that they are dealing with a different language. And it's a visual language rather than the written language. Completely. There, there's kind of, you know, he references other films like Chunking Express and, you mm. know, filmmakers like Claire Denis. And, and obviously, you know, he reveres them incredibly. So he he's the sort of things I can't do anything like what, you know, Claire Denis does, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be able to kind of come close to creating that sense of mood. But that they were heavily, you know, they were such big influences on him precisely because he realised you can tell cinematic time doesn't have to be linear, it can mm. be circular, precisely because he realised that there's a way of constructing a montage or, you know, it was, he sort of talks about the scene in Chunking Express with um, a, a song from Dina Washington and he didn't realise you could tell so much in a song, in, mm. you know, in, in kind of a couple of minutes in a film and it's sort of understanding the way cinematic space and time mm. works and it's, I think that's, the real accomplishment, I mean, it was the accomplishment in Moonlight uh, to some extent, and it is the accomplishment of Bill Street, is that he really has a sense of how do you use cinematic space and time differently to tell stories about people that aren't just about the things that happen to them, mm. that really give the audience an absolutely uh, emotive connector to what's going mm. on on screen, and I think he completely nails it. Mm. So, yeah, accompanying... The, the release of um, Jenkins' new film, we're doing a short season of influences in Jenkins' previous work and absolutely thrilled um, to get the rarely seen Medicine for Melancholy, which was only really screened in the States, and delighted to have a very rare screening of his first feature. I can't wait, I'm going to be sat in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we mentioned Wong Kar Wai, and he is a, a huge influence on Barry Jenkins, but in this world of um, distribution and rights and everything, rather people probably be surprised um, that they can buy a one car Y in the in FOP, other shops I think are available, but it, the, you can't screen them in the cinema because the rights have reverted back to his company um, and you either have to pay a lot of money, a lot of money, um, or you simply can't screen them. Yeah, I think it's, you know, one, it was a bit of a surprise to us because the films have screened theatrically in recent years. Yeah, I, thought, so it's, I didn't it's think it would be a problem at a all. a very recent update that these aren't available any longer. Um, and also, yes, I think really quite sad because these, these films are incredibly beautiful and therefore really should be seen on big screens, <laughs> um, which is always the kind of dichotomy that, you know, or the issue that we have when we, we look at programming things because often there's films from film history that are so rich and so beautiful that really would be wonderful to show on a big screen. But of course, not everything is available to us. Um, but like you said, for every kind of you know, there's a loss and there's a win. So we weren't able to put Wonkai Wise films in this retrospective. But what we can do is show Medicine for Melancholy, mm. which is really exciting because this film really just hasn't been seen and I think is a really key film. Mm. And the, the other two are, I mentioned before, Hush Wash Wins three times, which, which really gave, Jenkins has commented on it, um, that, that that was the real inspiration for the approach to Moonlight. He, he couldn't quite get work out how to adapt for screen his friend's play and it was the structure of three times which follows two actors playing three different characters across three different time scales in in, um, in, in Taiwan a, a, an absolutely brilliant film and I'm delighted um, that we're screening it and you can really see and feel you can really feel actually the parallels but what's interesting about um, and I think testament to Barry Jenkins is that you don't you don't sit and watch his films and think oh that's that bit from such and such that's that bit from yeah. and he's doing they, they, they're sort of 
they're uniquely his, which is what makes him an extraordinary um, filmmaker. And the other film is Claire Denise and um, Botrevai, which for me is just one of the sort of great films. But it's certainly been my all-time top ten, and Claire mm. Denis as a director um, is just fantastic. But Botrevai is a particularly uh, extraordinary film. You know, it's um, Denis Lavant is a um, in the a legionnaire out the group of soldiers out in the middle of baking temperatures, and it's kind of an exploration of masculinity. It's an exploration of um, bodies and landscape, an incredibly poetic film with one of the most stunning endings, I think, of um, any film that you care to mention. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. This film is like, potentially, I mean, it was made in 1999. It's potentially still kind of like 10, 20 years ahead of its time now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know when we'll, we'll ever really be ready for this film. It's sort of so unique you know, um, and what she's doing is is really just so yeah. different to anything else that you see uh, in cinema and I think it's it's the, when you hear um, people saying them oh they're a musician's musician or they're a you know poet's poet or whatever you kind of know what they you kind of know what people mean by that is that if you're in that world you really appreciate it um, and I think Beau Travai is one of those hugely influential films on a number of filmmakers yeah. Um, it's not, you know, it's it's not a bestseller. It's not a huge audience attraction. But there's definitely, a, it's a film that people, in a way that people did with a film like Breathless or you know some of the new, you know, you can identify some films that were hugely influential. Um, and I think Botrevai is is definitely one of those films. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's a, it's she she is so interested in micro details that other filmmakers just would not be bothered to include. So she's really fascinated by things like ritual. She's really fascinated by routine um, and by the doing of things. And so literally down to like watching a vein move in someone's arm or to seeing how laundry is hung out on a washing line, to, to the movements of the body, to the way that sand sounds and looks when it, it kind of is kicked up as dust in the air. These details, like the detail is absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. And she's really fascinated by that, by those kind of micro level things in the film. Um, it was a really ex difficult film for her to shoot. So they filmed in Djibouti. They didn't have any permission from the officials. Um, they weren't allowed to observe the French Legion and study their training. So she kind of rehearsed in Paris uh, in order to kind of work out how to do the choreography. The film is choreographed. So it's it's physicality of military, but actually it's it almost is balletic in the way that it's kind of choreographed to play out. Um, she had real trouble of constantly thinking the shoot was going to be shut down from rumours of people thinking that it was an anti-French army film to it was some kind of pornography because it's a study of male physique and, and the, uh, the physicality of the body as well. Uh, to think people thinking it was about legionnaires and young Ethiopian girls or a film about homosexuality in the mm. legion. So, you know, she was kind of really up against this difficult shoot but she managed in the short time that she shot the film to get these incredible performances mm. and and, and to capture something that I just think is uh, couldn't your imagination couldn't come up with this you know you, you couldn't kind of conceive of the the level of detail that she's able to capture in this film and I think that's one of the things that's quite um, exceptional about this type of cinema, what Barry Jenkins is doing, what he's learned from filmmakers like Claire Denis and Wong Kar Wai and House Yuxian, is that it's all about how you fill a frame 
not with with a story or, or plot, but with we fill it with detail of emotion, um, and and the, that frame is so full that it bursts out into the audience. And I think that's actually it's like. Watching Claire Denis' Beau Travail is literally one of those moving experiences where you, you feel so full from what the screen gives you. And that's, I think, the lesson that Barry Jenkins has taken forward. And that's why, you know, even though you might think, well, why would I watch Moonlight and Beau Travail? Like, what have these films got in common? What you'll actually see by watching some of the films that have influenced him, his early work and then his new film, is that, that, that that's the consistency. That's what's kind of carried through, is that it is something about space, time, filling up the frame with emotion, um, and, and really, yeah, an aesthetic aesthetic, I think. Mm. So we are very excited about um, If Bill Street Could Talk, the new Barry Jenkins film, which opens this month at Watershed with some supported influences and early Barry, Barry Jenkins work. Um, real cinematic pleasures in, in all of those films. And indeed, there are many more that we've just not got time to talk about just now that are opening this month. But um, certainly a great month in the cinema ahead.